Hello there and welcome back. Due to a revaluation of my story and me adding more details than I originally thought I was going to do, this two-part story has now become a three-part story. So please bear with me, but I also hope you enjoy this next part thoroughly. It is quite different from part one. Now, in the prior episode, we were told the origin of the new king of Madrid. The former king, Hester, had passed away leaving the throne placed in the lazy hands of the new ruler, King Leeson, who despised his father for never giving him any affection or attention. After a nightmare concerning a terrible fate for his kingdom and the telling of a vision from a beautiful prophetess about a magical ring that could save the kingdom from an unknown terror, King Leeson sets forth with a party to acquire this item with his very own two hands. Now continues the tale of King Leeson. This is Once a King, Part 2, Heart and Steel. Legends tell that in the days of old, mankind held a special connection with the Jakan, the race of dragons. It was said that the same blood of the great creatures flowed in the veins of a select chosen few of humankind whose offspring became known as the royalty of vast kingdoms. Some debate that dragons were the original children of the goddess. It was said, however, that they angered the goddess and were not grateful like mankind was for their creation, that they became jealous and spiteful, abusing their power against her, and thus she had no choice but to eradicate them by the swift judgment of her divine power. For power comes from the goddess, and only she can give and take away. I hope he is successful in his quest, Princess Lara spoke. Though I fear it might inflate his head, I do not think it was wise of my father to ignore my brother these twenty-five-odd years in every matter he could. Maybe then he would have felt worthy as a king. She paused as she stood on the balcony of the throne room. I remember the many times that my father told me, You will be a fine queen, my dear. He always said it so sincerely, and I have always been puzzled by it. May your highness grant me the right to speak freely? The older council member asked, whose name was Bartholomew. You may. She said this while watching in the distance as the caravan marched away into the ever-stretching lands. Perhaps your father wanted a daughter to rule in his stead to begin with. I gather he knew your brother to be rotten to the moment he was born. Princess Laura turned around quickly to face the rather hunched-over council member. Freely does not mean to speak ill of things you are not certain of. Forgive me, your highness. He did a light bow. But your father was one of great faith. Why else would he turn his eye away from your brother, King Leeson, if it was not perhaps the will of the goddess? You are already more a king than Leeson could ever hope to be, even looking out for one who scorns you. Then tell me this. Is it not also the will of the goddess for choosing my brother, his majesty, to save the kingdom? Bartholomew's mouth hung open as he pressed his hand to his chin. Laura smiled. I thought so. She turned to face the open balcony once more, 
as the east wind blew upon her face. As Bartholomew walked away, he gave his parting words. I hope, for his majesty's sake, that glory is what the goddess Padria has in mind for his quest. She does work in ever-mysterious ways. Princess Lara's eyes narrowed, but looked down. She stood there at the balcony with the sun high and bright amongst the clouds, as it glistened on her hazel eyes as the sun made the single tear that fell down her face ever-present like a small pearl falling to the ground. She clasped her hands together. Goddess Padria, giver of life and victory, shield my wayward brother with your divine hand and bring him home safe and renewed like the rising sun each day. It was said that a prayer to the goddess would always arrive to her from the beak of the ever-abundant doves that flew across the land and into the sky, and that the reason people could not hear her reply was because no one could understand the words of the dove. Of course, there was supposedly another reason why people felt that no one could see the goddess anymore. It had already been three days on the road, a few of which that had King Leeson hanging around Ava like a simple man trying to court a woman. He, however, was also quite the complainer, as he never seemed to get enough sleep, as his royal rear couldn't get used to sleeping outside in a tent or even inside a carriage. He was already not liking this trip. Your Majesty, I am curious. What do you know of your goddess? After all, she seems to have quite the fondness for you. Ava was staring right at Leeson, as he found himself feeling a little sick from trying to read a book while the carriage bounced up and down over the stone bridge that they were passing. He looked up at her and grinned. I'll have you know that I am quite well versed in the history of my land. Despite my father's neglect, I did have a select few teachers who dared to give me a proper education, and despite my... Reluctance, I still thrived at it. He pulled on his cape with pride. Ava raised her eyebrow. Prove it. King Leeson crossed his arms and smirked. You challenging your king? Am I? Ava said back with a look in her eyes that could make any man sweat. King Leeson cleared his throat. <clears throat> well, I suppose I could elaborate just this once. He sat up straight as if he were about to give a lecture. Goddess Padria is the giver of life and the bestower of victory to all those who follow her diligently. She has guarded the land ever since its formation, many a millennia ago, and was a personal warrior in the Divine War three and a half centuries ago. It was through her immense power that the majority of the Anamite army was wiped out, which led the armies of Padrid to take a swift victory against them. It is said that after the battle, she ascended to the sky, shedding her physical body that she inhabited, to let her chosen people, the Padridians, to take care of the land that she had given them, and that she would always watch them from her palace in the sky, and that this is the reason why we never see or hear from her, unless from divine visions, like the ones you have been blessed with. Ava. Beautifully said, your majesty. Ava did a slow clap. Even if 
very well known, but are you aware of the other great feat that your, that the goddess enacted in the divine war? And just what might you be referring to? It is said that there were two goddesses in the war. Leeson's eyes narrowed and looked at her suspiciously. No. Two? Yes, indeed. The Anamites, or rather the tribe of Anam, had their own goddess. She fought against Pedria as the war raged on, but was destroyed by the magnificent hand of our goddess. Leeson looked engrossed. I had no idea. The idea alone of two goddesses is hard to fathom, but a goddess killing another goddess? Quite a feat, indeed. But then, would that also mean that the other goddess was divine as well? And just, what was she the goddess of, if not just of her people? King Leeson looked at her with intrigue, as Ava had a rather shocked look on her face. I am... Surprised to hear that from you, Your Excellency. Most don't acknowledge even the concept of two goddesses, or consider it a blasphemous statement. Let's just say that I am very well aware of wonderful expectations not being what you want them to be, or even, or even what they should be. This was the first time Ava had seen the king sad. It was strange to witness, but almost immediately he shot back up. And also, you so far have not given me a reason to doubt your words or your knowledge. He leaned in closer to her. Tell me, are you some kind of priestess from one of the neighboring towns of Madrid? Ava's eyes widened. I'm... well, I'm... Bandits! One of the knights outside the carriage yelled as you could hear the following sounds of swords being unsheathed loudly as they scraped up against their scabbards. King Leeson rose up quickly as he pulled aside the cloth from his carriage and witnessed an onslaught of ragged men with hoods descend out of the forest. He saw one of his knights already on the ground, an arrow protruding from his neck. His heart raced. As a few arrows flew out of the trees, another one hitting a knight in the arm as he fell from his horse, shouting in pain. Some of the other knights held up their shields as the arrows either got stuck in the wooden ones or broke or bounced off the metal exteriors. An arrow flew right by the ear of Leeson and got lodged in the carriage. His eyes widened as he flinched from the sudden noise. He had never seen anything like this, but a fire roused up from inside him. He threw the cloth back as he entered the carriage again. Ava, stay where you are and do not leave this carriage until the enemy has been routed or subdued. Ava just nodded, her hands clenching her gown. King Leeson ran out of the carriage as he grabbed a shield from one of the supply horses and unsheathed his royal sword, Kingsbane, the sword of generations. He then shouted to his men, Cavalry, to the front! Shields high! The men rushed into formation, as arrows shot sporadically. You could tell there were likely not that many archers out there, but they were still being a hazard to any swordplay on the ground. Archers to the rear! King Leeson shouted again. They lined up behind the barricade of shields in front of them. 
Left battalion, prepare to fire up to the west. Right battalion, prepare to fire up to the east. Aim for the trees. Yes, yes your, your majesty. majesty. They drew their bows back, ready to pour down an onslaught of arrows. You could hear a shout in the distance, telling the enemy archers to get out of the trees, but it was too late. Open fire! A hailstorm of arrows descended into the forest with shouts of pain echoing from the trees. The ground soldiers had already had to engage the coming enemies who went in close and personal. King Leeson then ran into the fray, but not before shouting to the archers, Provide support! Do not hit your knights! And dare not your king! Yes, your majesty! They shouted back and took up a more spaced formation. The road was tight and narrow, making movement of the horses limited, so the cavalry knights leapt off their horses to take on the rest of the enemy hoodlums. King Leeson charged with them as he felt his sword clash against his first real foe. He had much sword training in his life, so he knew what the taste of steel felt like against another blade, but he had never been in a full-on battle. This was life or death. He could feel the fear in his heart as he witnessed the look in his attacker's face. And yet, despite that, he did not falter. That fear is what kept him alive. He swung his brilliant sword, each strike clashing with confidence and skill, a complete opposite to the bandit's sloppier movements. King Leeson would guard, then parry, then guard again, only to parry the man's sword away in a wide sway. It was his chance to strike. He took it without a moment's thought. It plunged into the man's side, right into his ribs, as he gasped and gnashed his teeth in agony. King Leeson pulled out his sword with a forceful motion as blood shot onto his face. He had just killed his first man. The blood spots on his face revealed a moment of shock on him, and even a tinge of remorse in his eyes. But everything inside him screamed for preservation, and so he turned toward his next enemy and slew him in a matter of seconds. The rest of the bandits didn't fare much better against the more skilled knights that they dared to clash swords with. One would wonder why the bandits tried to rob such a large convoy to begin with. Desperation seemed to be all on their faces, but it did not save them from the swifter blades that swung against them. Before long, the battle was over. The leftover bandits retreated and scattered into the woods with not even a trinket of gold for their troubles. The knights cheered as the enemy fled, them pounding their shields and thrusting their swords toward the sky. King Leeson, on the other hand, was staggered. His heart was still beating hard against his chest, and he felt the weight of his sword for the first time from the blood that lay painted across its once shimmering blade. He breathed heavily, but slowly. There was a feeling of triumph within him that he couldn't believe. He felt pride for something incredible that he had achieved with his own two hands. Yet to his surprise, it didn't make him all that happy. He shoved his sword in the ground and let his hands lean on it as he took in a long breath, the cool air refreshing his warm throat. 
His eyes stared out into the forest blankly. He could barely remember how many he just slew right now, nor could he remember much of the intense battle itself. It was all still so new for him, and all such a blur. He wiped some of the blood on his face across his arm. He felt the sweat glide off him as a sudden scream echoed into the air. He hastily pulled his sword out. The scream came from the carriage. Ava! He shouted. Ava emerged from it, jumping off as one of the bandits did the same, him just inches behind her. An archer fired an arrow that just missed the bandit, and to his luck, Ava as well. Hold your fire, Leeson commanded. The bandit then grabbed Ava from behind and held a knife to her throat. You could barely see the person's face. Back now, or, or I'll kill her. King Leeson held up his hand as some knights were ready to charge. He could feel himself holding his breath. I don't know if you understand your situation, but if she dies, then one of my archers has the permission to put one in you just before... But then he stopped. Witnessing the face of the bandit revealed that he could be no more than fifteen years old. King Leeson sheathed his sword and took a few steps forward. The kid got startled, tightening up and prodding the dagger to Ava's neck. Leeson stopped again. Listen. He spoke softly, a tone no one had ever heard from the king. You still have many years to go, young one. Is this what you want to do? I... I don't have a choice, he shouted back. Yes. Yes, you do. Leeson had a small smile on his face. Do you really want to harm a lady who has done nothing to you? The kid shifted his eyes back and forth as the dagger still played upon Ava's throat. You have my word, King Leeson said. If you let her go, then no harm will come to you, and you may flee to, to wherever you please. The would-be bandit stared straight into Leeson's. The dagger's tension released, and the boy took a deep breath, swallowed, and let go of Ava, as she took a few steps away from him. He then ran off into the woods as fast as he could, away from the eyes of even the archers. King Leeson let out a sigh of relief. Are you all right? He said this as he approached Ava, with his hands holding onto her shoulders gently. Ava almost looked guilty. I am, your grace. I'm in your debt. King Leeson could feel a swell of pride enter him, except this time he felt glad. <clears throat> he cleared his throat. Think nothing of it, he said as stoically as he could, his hands letting go of her shoulders. He took a deep breath again. We still, after all, have some days to go, he looked towards his men. But first we take care of the wounded, and... and send the fallen home. He was about to walk off, but then he stopped mid-step and turned to face Ava once again, his expression that of someone who had been wounded. The goddess Padria sure has a distinctly different interpretation of no danger befalling us. He then walked off, every step of his rather heavy, as Ava sighed while looking rather admirably at Leeson for the first time. 
Yet, in the distance, there was one who was indeed anticipating the arrival of the new king, one of great power. I can feel him. He is so close now, and he will be mine. And that completes part two of Once a King. Next time on the Stories of Avalon, in part three of Once a King, we will finally get to see what the foretold magical ring is capable of doing to its wearer, and what other mysteries await our determined king to the Idrissian forest, as well as an ominous presence that will rise over the kingdom of Madrid. Also, I'm hoping part three does not suffer from the same delays that part two did, as I was plagued by more than just technical difficulties. I prefer to only have longer breaks between whole new content rather than between parts of a story. So here's to a faster published podcast. And if you're enjoying this podcast so far, please leave me a voice message, comment, rate me, or hell, maybe even subscribe to me. That'd be pretty cool as well. I am currently on quite a few platforms now, mainly Anchor, as that is where my podcast is made. But you can also find me on Apple Podcasts, Radio Public, Google Podcasts, Pocket Casts, Spotify, and Breaker. As always, thank you my fellow adventurers for listening, and I hope to have you back for part three. Till next time!